The Lord calls us to worship this morning from the book of Psalms, chapter 63. O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. Amen. Father and our God, we thank you and give you praise that you have gathered us together as your people today, the church. We gather in hopes, Lord, of offering up to you a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving that is acceptable in your sight. And we pray that we might do this, Lord, according to your power in your spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit upon your people as we have gathered, that we would sing praises and recite your word together, that we would lift up hearts of thankfulness to you and praise. And Lord, we join our hearts together now as you taught us to pray, as your disciples prayed, saying out loud together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debts. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. This morning, for our confession of faith, we're going to recite together the Apostles' Creed. It's on page 845 in the hymnal, if you would like to turn there. I'll begin by asking you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from this he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who call upon the Lord by faith, hear these words of assurance from 1 Peter chapter 2. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up to a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up sacrifices that are spiritual, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. Amen. Let's continue to worship the Lord now by singing together hymn number 193. Let all mortal flesh keep silence. Absolutely, that's the one. I wanted to ask you also, does anybody know uh, 
Can you tell me what it means to complain? It means that you are grumpy and think, no, I don't want to do this. <laughs> yeah, to complain means that you are grumpy and think, no, I don't want to do this. That's pretty good. I read this week uh, from Elizabeth Elliot. She uh, she's made a statement about thankfulness and, and about complaining, and I wanted to talk with you about it this morning, especially as we think about just having celebrated Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving <coughs> is really something that extends not just into the month of November or on the, that Thursday that we celebrated with a meal and time with family, but Thanksgiving is something that should rise in the heart of God's people all the time. We saw it last week in our call to worship in Psalm 100, that we are to enter God's presence with Thanksgiving. But let me ask you, uh, and it's all around us, and really this is for each of us, not just our children, but think about the ways that it is so easy to be quickly discontent. Discontent with what God has given us, and then move on from thinking about this thankfulness that we just celebrated, thankfulness in our hearts for our families, thankfulness for the salvation that the Lord Jesus brought to us, thankfulness for uh, how he has provided for us and given to us. But isn't it so easy that quickly we overlook all of those blessings and we think, but Lord, look what I don't have. And we begin to be not only ungrateful for what the Lord has given us, and then quickly assume, I'm owed this. Actually, the Lord should give this to me. I'm a great person. And then move into thinking, but look at these things that I don't have. And it so quickly happens. Our hearts move at light speed. Not only do we forget the thankfulness that we should have, but we grumble, like Josiah said, we grumble about the things that we don't have. And I want to encourage you with the words of that Elizabeth Elliot wrote about this, that very quickly in your hearts and in your minds, at a young age, you need to encourage a heart of thankfulness because you will either do that or you will move into areas of grumbling and complaining and ungratefulness. And one of those will become a habit in your life. And I want to pray for you this morning that the Lord would spare you a grumbling, complaining heart and that he really would build you up in thankfulness to him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for giving us the gift of your Son in the Lord Jesus Christ. That apart from Him, we can do nothing that pleases you. That apart from Him, we are left in our sins and our sinful ways. And I pray, Lord, for our covenant children this morning, that as they have just celebrated with their families a day marking our thanksgiving before you in obedience to your word in Psalm 100, I pray, Lord, that it would not just be a day of thanksgiving, but that you would give them a lifestyle and a habit of it for the sake of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you would protect their hearts from grumbling and complaining and being bitter about the things that they don't have. And Lord, I pray that you would give them especially the grace to trust you, that if you have not given it to them, then certainly according to your perfect will, they don't need it. Help them to be confident in that, Lord, that they wouldn't waver in thinking that my Heavenly Father, my Good Shepherd, doesn't know how to provide. I pray that you would settle their hearts in this and that they would rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.
I want to encourage you also, as a church family, to consider those words as we think about the holiday that we just celebrated, that the Lord would, would truly build up your heart in gratefulness and thankfulness to Him, that there really isn't a, a place to be in the middle ground. We are either thankful or we tend towards being stubborn and ungrateful and complaining. As we continue in our worship now, uh, if you would please take your hymnal and turn to page 789 as we read Psalm 18, verses 1 through 19. Page 789. We'll be reading Psalm 18, verses 1 through 19. I'll begin with the light portion. Please respond out loud together with the bold. I love you, O Lord, my strength. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The cords of death entangled me, and the torrents of destruction overwhelmed me. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. The earth trembled and quaked, and the foundations of the mountains shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils. Consuming fire came from his mouth. Burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. The valleys of the sea were exposed, and the foundations of the earth lay bare. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. Let's continue to worship now. Take the insert in your bulletin as we sing together, Prepare to Meet Thy God.
This morning for our pastoral prayer time, I want to pray for two of our missionaries as we have been this month for Brennan and Becca McCafferty who are serving the Lord um, in, a, in a different homeland than where they both grew up. And I also wanted to pray for um, many at this time of year as we think about uh, the tables that were beautifully spread this past week. There are many who are remembering family members who were not there and chairs that are empty. And even, uh, particularly at this time of year, those who have lost loved ones, uh, either unexpectedly or otherwise, uh, there is a hole in our heart and grief. And though we may smile with joy, there is sorrow in us. Even though we may certainly absolutely hope in the, in the hope of the resurrection, there is still sorrow this side of glory. So I want to pray for one another and for our church family. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a privilege it is for us sinners, your people, to come into your presence. As your word says, our prayers are not simply us having kind thoughts or hopeful thoughts. We are coming into the presence of the throne room of the living God, the one who created the heavens and the earth, and who before the foundations were formed, you purposed in Christ to make us your children, and to do so by the perfect, sinless life of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, that through his perfect life, his sinless life, his death and his glorious resurrection, we may have hope and rejoice and thanksgiving because our names have been written into your book. Lord, we are thankful today. I pray that you would cause our hearts to be lifted up Lift them up that we might see and remember and behold and wonder at the beauty of the salvation that the Lord Jesus came to bring to your people who apart from your grace are lost sinners without hope and without God in the world unless you move. And so we praise you today, Father, that we may come into your presence and that we may do so because of Jesus. May we never forget it, even in the moments of this service, Help our hearts to be steady and steadfast, thinking upon your promises and your goodness to us. Lord, I lift up to you, Brennan and Becca McCafferty. I pray that you would bless them as they gather for worship today. I pray that you would encourage their hearts as they are away from family, as they know what it is to spend Thanksgiving away from loved ones, away from familiar places and faces I pray that you would encourage their hearts, Lord, as they seek to be a witness for you in a place that is dark. And I pray that you would encourage their hearts to not give up in this good fight and good work that you have called them to. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them even in the the normal day-to-day routines of their, their life there where they are serving you, that you are at work not only in their family, but in their hearts and in the country where they serve you. And I pray, Lord, as we join our hearts together with theirs, as we pray for them today, I pray that by your spirit you would uplift them and encourage them, that they would have joy in the task that you have given them to do. And Lord, I also pray for those whose hearts are heavy this morning, that they rejoice before you because of your salvation. They are thankful for your gifts and your provision in their lives, but they mourn and they weep and they grieve deep in the pit of their heart, Lord, they They long for loved ones that they can no longer hold. That they can no longer say, I love you. They can no longer hug and and kiss and just pick up the phone and call. 
Lord, these things are not things to put out of our mind. We should think clearly about what it means to leave this world and go into the next. And I pray, Lord, that you would comfort your people as they grieve. And I pray for us as a church family, Lord, that we would would not shy away from opportunities to encourage one another in the Lord as we think about death, as we think about the death of loved ones, those who know you, we have hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your word says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I pray that our hope in the resurrection would be what we hold out to one another, that we would hold each other up in prayer, but also in love and affection and and kind words. And Lord, I pray also that you would help us in our grief, that you are the faithful good shepherd who never leaves your people. You don't send us anywhere that you don't promise to go with us and to bear us up. And I pray that that would be also in our minds and in our hearts, that there's no place we go in sorrow that you, Lord Jesus, are not with us, that there is no sorrow we could endure that you have not also tasted for us on our behalf. May this be encouragement to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give each of us as we interact with one another in these things. Lord, give us the words that might be gracious, that we might love one another as you have loved us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the Old Testament book of Amos. Amos chapter 4. This morning our scripture reading is chapter 4 verses 6 through 13. Amos chapter 4 verses 6 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. Also I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities, and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you, where there were still three months to the harvest. I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink. But they were not satisfied, yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew when your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, the locusts, devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I sent among you a plague after the manner of Egypt. Your young men I killed with a sword along with your captive horses. I made the stench of your camps come up into your nostrils. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I overthrew some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a firebrand plucked from the burning. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Therefore, thus will I do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms mountains and creates the wind who declares to man what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who treads the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts is his name. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. In today's text, Amos cries out against Israel for their stubborn sinfulness in the face of God's grace. Though God repeatedly called to them to turn back to him, even disciplining them as his children, they absolutely refused. And their downward spiral of life is seen in several ways that we looked at last week. Being self-seeking, self-serving, and self-loving. They wanted God's benefits, 
but no relationship with him. They wanted the name Israel. They wanted to have the name of the Lord upon them. We belong to the only true God, but wanted no relationship with him at all. And the proof is seen in what happened in their worship, the way it devolved from being the worship of the true God, according to his word, to being worship, and I put quotes around it, worship that included their rituals and sacrifices, not that they might go and approach to this holy God, but that they might satisfy their own religious impulses. It seems right to do this. It seems right to go to church or to offer this sacrifice. Or we like the way we feel when we do this one versus that one. So we'll pick this one up and leave this one off. Church became about them and what they liked. As you think about this text and you think about the ways that maybe you see your own self in this. As the Lord convicts your heart of maybe an area of unrepentant sin in your life. I want to challenge you this morning. I believe the book of Amos challenges you this morning that an unrepentant life before God is not a neutral position. It may feel like it. Here's God's word. This is what he says. He calls this in my life sin. But if I don't engage in it, then it's not real. There is no such thing as a neutral position regarding unrepentant sin. It is a perilous place to be. So this morning I want to answer four questions briefly. The first is this, how does God deal with his people? The second, how did Israel respond? Number three, is there any real danger in unrepentant sin? And lastly, number four, how should we think about salvation? So number one, how does God deal with his people? I want to give you two ways, there are many, but I want to give you just two from this text this morning. How does God deal with his people? How does he deal with you? The first is that he deals with you and his people according to his sovereign will. Look in verse 13, if you will, again. He says, behold, it's a, a word of getting God's people's attention as they're hearing this or reading it. Behold, look, pay attention. He says of God that he forms, he creates, he declares, he makes, and he treads. This verse is nothing if not a reminder that this is God's world that we live in and he does all that he pleases. Isaiah 45 verse 5 says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no other God but me. In our shorter catechism, question number seven, it asks, what are the decrees of God? And the answer is that God's decrees are his eternal Purposes according to the counsel of his own will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. As you think about your life and as you think about this text, what we just read about all the things that God says that he did, and what you are going through even now, you or your family, those events are not happenstances. They are according to the decree of Almighty God. And they are taking place because he decided that they would. <coughs> Nothing happens in your life apart from his hand. So number one, how does God deal with his people? He deals with them according to his sovereign will. But number two, he also deals with them according to his grace and covenant mercy. He says, behold, 
Look. Really look and see what I have done. And I want to ask you this morning, look at your life. Look at this text. Really look at what the Lord has done in your life. I mean, really look. Can you take credit for the blessings that God has given you? For the many, many ways that He has kept you safe. That He has given you a place. That He has provided for you. Can you take credit for those? These are mine. I've earned these. God owes them to me. He says, I deal with you according to my grace and covenant mercy. And he says to them in what might seem like a dark cloud of providence. Look at these things I did. And he tells them, he lists them out for Israel. I did famine. I made your teeth clean with no food. I took bread away. I, the Lord, did it. Then he says, I brought drought while there were still three months left for the harvest. And if you know anything about gardening or harvesting, you know that the latter rain is important. The first rain is important. You need the stalks to come up out of the ground. But in order for the head of the fruit to be produced, for the corn or the grain to survive, you need the latter rains. And God says, I'm the one who stopped it. I opened the heavens and I closed them. And I did this to draw you back to myself. He says, I'm the one that brought the blight and the mildew, the heavy east wind that came and sucked up all the moisture that was there. I took it away. I brought the plagues in verse 10. He says, I did it. I did it to my people that I might call you back to myself. And lastly, he says, I am the one who overthrew you. There may have been a military advance in your sight, but I'm the one who did it. And on the one hand, you might say, well, Pastor, I remember in Deuteronomy 28 that God promised all of these things. These were God's covenant promises for disobedience. That if, if His people Israel did not keep His laws, this is how He would respond. He is bringing the punishments that He told them He would do. God is faithful. He does what He says. But I also want to encourage you to think about this another way. Yes, these are harsh and these are strong. And maybe even there's a sense in you of thinking, well, is this why difficult things are happening in my life? Is it because of my sinfulness or my unfaithfulness? Is it that God would send hardness or years of hardness into my life or into my family's life because of some sin? Because of disobedience? Or is that God, just the God of the Old Testament? Does He only deal with people in the Old Testament that way? Has He changed? Does He still discipline His sons and chasten those who belong to Him? Is it true? In Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, hear these words that the Lord said to Moses after the people of Israel had been delivered from Egypt. After they saw God's great deliverance and Pharaoh and all of his armies swallowed up in the Red Sea. What did the people of Israel do? Because God took a little longer than they thought he should have. They worshipped a cow. Hear these words, Exodus 34, 6 and 7. He says, the Lord proclaimed to Moses. The Lord said this to him. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression. That is your God. Abounding in mercy and long-suffering. 
Do you know the, the loving, long-suffering of your Heavenly Father? Do you know that He deals patiently with you, even in your sin and waywardness? Are you a wayward son or daughter of the living God? Do you know His patience? Do you know that you have it? Do you know that He sets it on you in covenant love and promises not to leave you? And I wonder if some of us are honest this morning, we would say, well, you know, you've been describing this God in the book of Amos, and I've been listening the last few weeks, and he sure sounds like a capricious God who knows our weaknesses and punishes us for them anyway. Why is he not more understanding with his people? If he knows we're weak and he knows we sin and our hearts are drawn away from him, so easily. Why doesn't he have more kindness and patience with us? And this text shows us this morning that he does. In many, many ways. He is and he does. I want to share with you a quote from John Owen in the works of John Owen, volume 6, page 500. Want of due consideration of him with whom we have to do. Measuring him by that line of our own imaginations, bringing him down unto our own thoughts and our own ways, is the cause of all disquietments. Want of due consideration of him with whom we have to do. That we don't sit and think about who it is, this God, that we confess this morning, that we believe in, that we belong to, that he has set his name upon us and upon our children. That we belong to him. Want of due consideration of him is the cause for all our disquietments. And I wonder if some of you are skeptical about a life with God because you think that he's a God who, when we think about patience or punishment, that he's like us. That he treats us how we treat one another. And if that's what patience is, then I don't want anything to do with it. If that's long-suffering, if that's what punishment is and discipline, then I want nothing to do with him. Hear these words from Psalm 50. Psalm 50, beginning in verse 16. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. I think one of the reasons that we, we, we dare to believe in God, the God of the Bible, not only of the Old Testament, but also of the New, is that we think God is like us. If we were the God in heaven we absolutely would have grown impatient with people like us a long time ago. Our anger rises quickly in the face of personal offenses. We quickly get hot and our face is red and our, our blood boils. Our frustration boils over and our judgments readily fire. And apart from the daily renewal of our minds in the word of God, we can easily measure God 
by this line of our own imagination. That's what he's like. As if his thoughts matched ours and his ways were like ours. But thank God they are not. Our human nature has no ruler to measure God's goodness. We have no way to even comprehend it apart from him opening our eyes and our mind. Our natural, natural imagination cannot grasp the heights of this living God. His kindness is not like our kindness. His forgiveness is not like ours and his patience is not like ours. He's describing in Amos chapter 4 verses 6 to 13 the patience of the living God towards his people. He's not a capricious God. He is patient and loving. So that's number one. How does God deal with his people? Number two, how did Israel respond in this text? In two ways. They steeled their hearts before him as real rebels rising up in their hearts. We want nothing to do with this God. Five times he repeats in all these things, in all the ways that God is moving towards his people through the famine, through the drought, through the blight, through them being overthrown, through the plagues. I'm moving towards you, my people. I'm calling you back to myself. I'm doing this and bringing it into your life. It seems like a dark shadow, but it is me calling you back to myself. Return to me. And they said, no, we will have none of it. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 3. O Lord, are not your eyes on the truth? You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You have consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than rock. They have refused to return. Isaiah 30 verse 15. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. But you would not. He's telling them there is one way to be at peace with God. To repent of your sins and turn to him. And they said, if that's the way back to God, I want nothing to do with it. To his face. How did Israel respond? They steeled their hearts before him and they esteemed themselves the measure of all things. And I think we know something about this in our day. It's in our hearts also. Oprah Winfrey said, the most powerful tool you have is to speak your truth. That is blasphemy from the pit of hell. Dear friends, you don't have the power to speak your truth. There is no such thing as your truth. Truth doesn't have a pronoun unless you are speaking about God. He is the only one that can speak and truth exists. And we live under the authority of that truth. And you have been sold a lie if you believe that here is the word of God and yet here is my experience or this is what I think or this is what I believe as though those are equal. You either live your life under the authority of the word of God or you live in rebellion against him. Those are the options. There isn't a third middle way. And so for you to live in a place where you would say this is what God says, thus saith the Lord, but this is my truth. You're walking away from him. Those things can't live together. It's a false reality. And woe to those, the Bible says, who esteem themselves above the living God, the creator of all the earth. 
So that's number two. How did Israel respond? They responded in rebellion. Number three. Is there any real danger in unrepentant sin? Or is it not just another way that the church tries to to use its influence to control people? Is there any real danger in unrepentant sin? And I think this is one where, where maybe some of us live today. That if we don't call it sin then it's not real. I don't have to call it sin in my life. I don't have to call it repenting of sin. I can just say I have a bad habit. Or I have a weakness. Or I have a struggle. But God calls it sin in His Word. Rebellion against the living God. To go your own way apart from Him. And not repent of it. That's what God's Word calls it. They refused to meet him in his overtures of grace. He was calling them to himself repeatedly. And they refused. And so he says in verse 12. In the namesake of this series. You will not meet me. In my movements of grace. So you will absolutely meet me. In judgment. In verse 12. And he says it twice. I will do this. And because I will do this. Prepare to meet your God. This is a a hard message to process, to really hear in our day. We enjoy much of the prosperity that the people in Amos' day did. And he's a southerner after all. So what does he know about what really goes on in Israel? He lives in Judah. How could he really speak to the tribes who live in the northern kingdom? How could he really have anything to say? Again, in our day, if you don't know where I live, if your address isn't the same as mine, you can only think about what I go through, but you can't really speak about the reality of my life. And we've done that to each other. We've sectioned ourselves off sometimes even in the church. You can't say anything about my life because you haven't lived it. And until your feet walk in my shoes, you have no right. And yet God's word calls us. As covenant people together, we are absolutely to say to one another, know the Lord and walk in His ways. This is the truth. That narrow is the way that leads to life. And broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many who go on that way. That's what the Word of God says. This is a hard thing to hear in a day when people say that the one thing that defines God, the one thing that defines God is that He is a God of love. That he's a God of acceptance and patience. And why are you so judgmental? He is all of these things and much more. And he does all of this for his own glory first. And we should see that in this text. That the main thread that runs through the book of Amos throughout all of the rest of scripture. Is not that we are the center of the story. He is. This is for his glory that he does this. And it calls to mind a day of judgment. As you think about what he's saying, prepare to meet your God. It calls to mind a day of judgment where all the peoples of the earth will stand before the throne of the living God. And he will be their judge. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this comes the judgment. There will be a time when there will be no mincing of words. Sin will be called sin. And judgment will be handed out. And unless the Lord Jesus Christ drank to the very bottom the cup of the wine of the wrath of God for you, you will be forced to drink it. And there will be no my truth there. There will be righteousness or none at all. 
the righteousness of Jesus or punishment and wrath. And there are three kinds of people in this world regarding that day. There are those who rejoice in it. In Psalm 94 and then also in in the book of Revelation, God's people look to the throne and say to God, how long until the wicked are judged? Not because they hate people, but because they hate those that hate the living God who want to live in rebellion against him. How long, Lord, will we suffer? They are looking forward to that day. But there's a second kind of person. According to Matthew chapter 7, there are people who are self-deceived about that day. They believe that they will stand and be applauded for their good works, for their righteousness. And then God will say those words that I think should sober any heart. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And he will say to them, you depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. If you point to the things that you do as your reason for getting into heaven, you will not get in. The only person to point to as the reason that you are allowed into heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone. I said there were three kinds of people. Those who rejoice in it, those who are self-deceived about it, and lastly, those who hate it. Those who are part of what, in the Gospel of John and in the epistle of John, those who love this world. They hate the idea of a judgment seat before which they have to stand. And they would love to write it out of existence and silence the Bible and silence Christians who speak about it. And there are people who would say, that's not real, it's just in your imagination. Again, it's just another way the church tries to control people and tell them what they can and cannot do. So lastly, my last question this morning How should we as God's people think about salvation? It's here in this text. It's in verse 11. It says, like a firebrand plucked from the burning. How should you think about salvation? I want to give you a few ways. There's probably a lot more. You should think about your salvation as rejoicing in the patience of God and wondering at it. It should be on your lips and in your heart as one who has been redeemed from the pit of hell, how and why is it that God would extend His grace to me, a sinner? I sat with one of our members a few weeks ago, and he said to me, and I could barely stand the tears in my eyes, he said, I don't know what God would want with an old sinner like me. A godly, honest, loving man Humility is a mark of belonging to Jesus. And not a false humility that parades it in front of other people. But a true humility that's okay with serving other people and not caring who gets the credit. How should you think about your salvation? We should give thanks for the gift of repentance. And it is true that repentance for you is an, is an action of your will. You are turning your mind and your heart around in a sense. That you're agreeing with God's word. You are confessing sins. And you are agreeing with God's word about righteousness. But repentance first and foremost is a gift of God. It is a gift that he gives his people. That their hearts might be turned back to him. So you should rejoice in that as a gift. And wonder at it. I don't deserve this. 
And I don't know why God gave it to me except for his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, my king, for his glory. And lastly, we should praise God for the gift of his precious son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his perfect life on our behalf, who bore upon the cross all our sin and shame, and who is clothed in righteousness and did not keep it all for himself. But he wraps you and I, sinners, who have been given the gift of faith. He wraps us in those robes of righteousness, exchanging our sin for it. We don't deserve it. And I implore you by God's word, if God's spirit is moving in your heart to confess sin and repent of it before him, that is his work alone. Do not be hard hearted. Do not be a rebel. Do not sit here this morning failing to repent before the living God. You have no promise of another day an opportunity to do it. If you are sitting here this morning and you do not know the living God, then He is dealing with you. Turn to Him and repent. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we give You praise and thanks and glory and adoration for the gift of Your Son. May we of all people in this world be most thankful for the ways that You bestow gifts on people who are undeserving. And we praise You for the gift of salvation in the Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray as we sit here this morning and think about our lives, as we think about the ways that You deal with us, help us, Lord, not be hard-hearted about the things that we go through as though they are just coming to us out of thin air. You are the one who directs our lives. And I pray, I pray, Lord Jesus, for the mercy to understand that you are working and to turn to you. I pray that you would give your people the gift of humility that they would see it and not turn away from you, not think that in order to make it through life and for things to happen, they need to just double down and grit and bear it. I pray that you would... Break the hearts of your people that they would have a heart for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together now and respond to God's word by singing hymn number 708. I know whom I have believed. Oh, sorry, Kevin. Sorry, 705.
Father, we, we thank you for being able to, now in this point in our service of worship to you, return back to you a portion of how you have so richly blessed us in tithes and in offerings. We give them for 
the sake of the spread of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, not only here but to the ends of the earth, that lost souls might hear of the goodness and faithfulness of God. Lord, we pray that you would do this for the sake of your name alone and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. benediction of our Lord from the book of Hebrews chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.